Welcome to Black Love Now. I'm your host, Scarlett Williski. Black Love Now is a podcast accompaniment to the forthcoming exhibition at Nicole Longnecker Gallery in Houston, Texas. Here, I will interview artists asking about their body of work, professional practice, and their creative process. My curatorial approach prioritizes contemporary African-American artists living and working in Texas. Black Love Now is brought to you by The Scarlet Market. The Scarlet Market is an online resource that provides private sale and post-sale fine art services. An art collection is only as strong as the services that support it. Insurance, storage, installation, conservation, framing, and so much more. To learn more about these services, please visit our website at scarletmarket.com. That's scarlet with two T's, market.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Black Love Now. I am so excited for our guest today. Her name is Ann Johnson, and Soul Sister Johnson. Um, Ann, <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited oh, for the chat. Thank you. I'm so happy for you to be here. Um, so let's just start with what do you do and why do you do it? Um, actually, I'm a teacher uh, and printmaker. Um, well, to be all new about it, I'm an interdisciplinary mm-hmm. artist, you know. Nice. <laughs> we used to call that mixed media back in the day. Now it's interdisciplinary. Yeah, okay. <laughs> my primary focus is experimental printmaking. I know printmaking can be intimidating, um, but I'm a very rebellious printmaker. I break all of the rules. Oh, and um, that's what I've been focused on um, really since about 2008. Wow. What makes you a rebellious printmaker? Uh, I don't print on paper. I have no interest in printing on paper at all. <laughs> so I print on leaves and feathers and, and most recently cotton. And I yes. just came back from a residency in Fargo, North Dakota, where I printed on batted cotton which kind of changes the game a little bit uh, for me because I actually experimented with lithography, which I had no interest in. Mm -hmm. Um, But intaglio is more of my medium. Uh, Photopolymer intaglio is what I work with. And the feathers and the leaves were um, when I was in graduate school at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. um, uh, Most of my work was around my grandmother who, as we call Black Indian, which would be, should be called, you know, Black Indigenous. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> we have pictures of her at home, just two pictures with these long braids and this beautiful reddish brown hair, just kind of staring at me growing up. And I realized now I was so attracted to the powwows because we had a huge rodeo in Cheyenne every year where I grew up. And I was always more interested in going to the powwows than going to the rodeo. Aww. And that impacted me over the years. So when I started exploring printmaking, which I was terrified of yeah. uh, because I don't like acid. Some people okay. like to play with the acid. I don't. And um, I, I'm a green printmaker, so I don't deal with the acids at all. And I started printing on uh, corn husk and then feathers and then leaves 
and then eventually cotton. And in the beginning, it was strictly my family and particularly my great uh, grandmother. Wow. Yeah. So those materials are extremely delicate materials. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, can you kind of walk us through your, like the intaglio printmaking process and how you're able to create something yeah. like print transfer onto such a delicate material? Sure. That's always the question. Yes. <laughs> how do you do that? Not why. You how do you do that? Do you... Not why. How? <laughs> how is that even I'm possible? trying to, you know, to just take it and prepare yeah. myself. But um, so the, so when you think of printmaking, you have a relief process and an Italio process. Relief is the one that you learn in school with linoleum, which is basically making a stamp. Okay. And when you ink it, the ink rests above the surface. Intaglio is the reverse. When you're ready to print, the ink rests below the surface. So mm-hmm. um, when Rembrandt used to do etches, etchings and sketch, that type of stuff that you used to see yeah. in the original books, that's right. the intaglio process. It's in the etching family. Okay. In those okay. days, of course... If it was engraved, it didn't require acid. My process is photopolymer. So I purchase um, photopolymer coated plates and then I print an image on a transparency. I use about 90% of the photographs I use, I take myself. I print that on a transparency and then the image is transferred to the plate by light. So I can either stand outside and hold it up to the sun, or I have a little small exposure unit, which takes about 30 seconds to transfer the image. And then the image is developed through water, and then it's it's hardened to the plate. So that's the intaglio process. Then I ink it up, wipe the ink off, and run it through a, a printing press. Okay. A printmaking okay. press, not, not a regular printer. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, wow. yeah. You know, it, it sounds complicated, but once you get used to it, or if that's your medium, you know, it's kind yes. of second nature to you. Yes. Wow. Yes. It's it's so impressive to Thank see you. in person. Like it's just. Thank you. It, it really it it can bring a tear to your eye because especially seeing um what was it it was um number nine um, nine on cotton nine that on cotton was one yes. of the first cotton prints. Um. The feathers are, are, you know, a little delicate. They look more delicate than the process of printing. Okay. Um, The cotton, I'm still, I haven't been printing on cotton very long. Mm -hmm. Um, This is what had happened. (laughs) I am convinced that I am the lost daughter of Betty Sarr. I'm just convinced. (gasps) (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) My sister Allison was at a printmaking conference in Dallas and I only went because I wanted to see her. Oh, yes. <laughs> and my homeboy, we're just sitting there chilling. And here she comes walking through the door. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, it's you. <laughs> you know, and I came out for a second and we talked and chit-chatted. And I told her about the biggest mistake I ever made in my artistic life, which was not thrift shopping with her mother. Oh, I know it. I know it. I know. Oh my goodness. I know. She's like, sis, you should have went with mom. In graduate school at the time, and I was teaching six classes, and I was writing a thesis, and I was producing thesis work, and I just couldn't see anything about any free time I had was for school. Yeah. Yeah. And Lauren, Lauren Kelly is my mentor and a good friend, begged me to go. And I was like, no, Lauren, I can't go. I got to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
other. I'm like, Lord, you're supposed to come pick me up anyway. Oh, <laughs> but anyway, so um, that was the Mara Mara exhibition, which was a beautiful exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I expected to see her prints, but I didn't expect to see her sculptures. And, you know, Allison saw her sculpture as something to see. And she used a lot of uh, real cotton, like in the topsy-turvy sculptures. Okay. And I just sat there and thought, wow, I wonder if I could print on cotton. And then that's how that started. And I had to learn, you know, a water-based ink um, kind of disappears into the cotton, where as an oil-based ink, the figure stands in certain frames, you know, I can press and the image will reveal, or I can just let it, the cotton do what cotton does. So um, it's it's been fun. I enjoy printing on cotton and it, it naturally tells that story, the story of slavery, naturally. Yeah, and, and I have a um, one of the co-founders of Print Matters, uh, Andis Applewhite, really nice. <laughs> she picks cotton for me. So I say a white lady picks cotton for me. I just oh. thoroughly enjoy saying that. <laughs> so she gives me in fact she called me the other day I'm, I'm going to bring you three boxes <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I get boxes and boxes of plantation cotton every wow. year Yeah, beautiful irony yeah. <laughs> shout out to Anda she's cool people <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah, so that's how the cotton started and um, which I just really enjoy printing on the cotton and um, the batted cotton is a little different now. Um, I can I can print more of a, a multicolor um, prints now because I can use the various plates on it. So, yeah. Can it's you explain fun. a little bit about what batted cotton is? Like the batted the cotton is the cotton that you would put in a blanket. Okay. Uh, yeah, that you would okay. buy folded. Yeah. Okay, got it. So it's a little more raw, less processed. Well, it's stiff. It's stiffer. Um, okay. The, the other one that you saw of nine, now that's totally mm-hmm. non-processed. That's just a bag of cotton that okay. I just grab a handful, put some water on it, and put it on top of the plate and run it through the press. Okay. So um, the batted cotton, it keeps it a little bit more structured. So how would you say love informs your artistic practice? Your artistic practice? I love what I do. Um I I don't find myself, I don't, I don't make a lot of money uh, selling work, mm-hmm. but I don't produce to sell. I produce because I love it. Not not that a system couldn't take a check right now. Right? <laughs> I produce it because I really love it. I find when, that's why I don't do commissions. You know, can you put my grandbaby on a feather? No, uh-uh. I do not. Oh, yeah. No. Okay. Nope. Because <laughs> I find myself being stressed out and, and not enjoying the process. And then, of course, the, the love for my people, you know, as, as you know, and we always we like to see us in the museum. You know, I teach art appreciation and, and we don't show up until maybe chapter 22 of 23 chapters. You know, mm-hmm. as you look at That's Olympia, so you know, in the background of a Manet painting, you know, and you can't you barely see. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah. it's the love for my people, the love for what I do. Get a drink. Excuse me. And just a general love for art. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, coming off of no, sinus no, no, infections. No problem. 
shut up. That was last oh, week. Right. I'm, I'm oh, back. I'm sorry. You know, you never know these oh. days. You're so paranoid. Yeah. Am I sure? <laughs> right? <laughs> Am I okay? Right, <laughs> Is it just right. a cold? Is, Is it just a sneeze? <laughs> we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, I mean, no, it's, not, it's, it's not funny, but like just. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. it absolutely is. And um, funny to pivot, um, did your process change during uh, COVID at all? Like, your, did your process mm-hmm. of creating change? No, it didn't. My process didn't change at all. In fact, COVID was good for artists. Uh, it, as long mm-hmm. as you had a steady income. Um, COVID was good for yes. artists. Yes. It. Um, I got so many speaking engagements which I, I love to run my mouth, so that was fine. Um, but I was showing to audiences uh, that um, audiences that probably would never have seen my work before, you know, um, just the ability to to do that and share my work with other people, it opened up more opportunities. That's why I just had the exhibit at um, Fargo, you know, North Dakota. She saw me speaking um, for print Austin. And she was like, I wonder if we could get her down for a residency. And then I got a residency at Kala in Berkeley, California. So it really opened doors for me. And then we, as artists, we just had that freedom. My God, I don't have to go anywhere. I could just wake up and create, (laughs) you know, as irritating as teaching online started to become, you still had that freedom of, I can, when I'm done with my class, I can create for the rest of the day. And that was really cool. I'd never had that much free time to create before. So it really uh, blossomed what, what I was able to create. Yeah. That's great. I, um, I loved, yeah. I loved the COVID time too. I, I loved being at home and collecting yeah. unemployment and being pregnant yeah. and just waiting, like, like the being right. taken care of. And like, I didn't have any more like external pressures or expectations right. put on me and I could finally produce the show. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I don't care. I don't like, it's not that I don't care about, about academia. I, I just didn't care about the pressure and like the outside influence and what I would look like if I got something wrong or if it didn't, if I didn't say it correctly or if I didn't write it down the right way. Like I, like I just got to be myself and I was just like, oh my gosh, like this feels so good. <laughs> like maybe I don't want to work in a museum. Maybe I just want to be an independent yeah. curator and let's just see what that feels like for yeah. right now. I like let's, to say I'm a retiring that, curator. What that feels like. <laughs> I, a retiring I've been curator? I've for probably the last six years. <laughs> it's, it's just difficult. The last large show I did was How Do I Say Her Name at Art League. Mm-hmm which then traveled to um, okay, yes. Texas A&M and ended up being one of the top shows for College Art Association that year, which which was crazy. Right. But it's so challenging to be an artist and curate the show and write the catalog mm-hmm. and teach five classes. Right. You know, it was just, just a lot. Wow. And um, so that's why I always say I'm a retiring a curator. <laughs> and then you get tired of running behind <laughs> artists, <laughs> you know. Right. I, I, I describe it as right. like chasing kittens. 
Um, like, you're like, oh, this right. one, they're so cute. Like, this is amazing. And that's amazing. But like, right. I need you to stay still long yeah, enough for me to talk to you. Here today. <laughs> Today, not tomorrow, not midnight. I need it here now. Now, <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. Retiring That's curator, so still trying to retire. Yeah, right. Yep. No, but it's it's a good work. You're you have you have incredible Thank shows. You. Um, like just yes, I'm. It's it's beyond impressive, and I'll be linking. Um your exhibitions oh, cool. in the show notes cool. so people can can take a look um at your work as well it'll be it'll, it's absolutely i appreciate that thank you. thank you so much. definitely enjoy it yeah. of course um in what way has your professional practice been affected by the um, just again um, um just a lot of opportunities i do understand now that i need to clean out that back room and make it an official print studio mm -hmm. <laughs> you know um get out of the dining room um it's, it's mm. just just the, the <laughs> opportunity, the people, the understanding, which I've always had of investing in in yourself for your profession. You know, printmaking plates are not cheap. You know, like $19 for one 8 by 10 plate. You know, that's expensive. Wow. <clears throat> but on the flip side, I, I, I've been on the same bag of cotton for three years. You know? So, oh, cool. You know, and I've been <laughs> on the same tubes of ink you know, for a couple of years, because mm -hmm. I don't use a lot of ink. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, having that other time to, I find myself not really liking openings anymore. I prefer to go to the artist talk or go the next day. I, I'm not oh, trying yes. to be seen anymore. Yeah. I want to see the work. And mm -hmm. so I find mm -hmm. myself taking my time to get out more. I live in Northwest Houston, so I, I have to plan my battles when I feel like dealing with traffic in certain events, <laughs> you know, <laughs> certain events. So, um, yeah. I, I just, it's, there was a stillness that we were able to get from COVID that just impacted, mm -hmm. you know, clean up this game. If I'm going to do a talk, um, th through the Smithsonian or whoever, I need to make sure my website is tight. I keep my, I keep my IG yes. clean. Mm -hmm. It's only art. Uh, Facebook yes. is different, you yes. know, so I, I don't link my Facebook to, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see. I see. So like tightening right, up your right, social right. media, like what yeah. you put out um, and right. what media you're putting. And I'm not one to, uh, you know, take pictures of what I ate last night, stuff like that. You know, on Facebook, <laughs> I might share something a little more political that I wouldn't share on, on IG. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, okay. I don't tweet. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I don't, I don't either. I, I always find that interesting yeah, though, like who I does and who stupid. doesn't. And it's, <laughs> yeah, no. all you can say, what, 27 <laughs> words? I mean, come on. And didn't. I know. I think they've changed it a little bit, yeah. but I'm not sure how much. I'm not it's sure. By how much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's, that's not, if it's that's not helpful, helpful to you, that's fine. Blurbs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, right, you right, go right. ahead with those thoughts. The sad thing is that how much students it affects them, you know. Because I'm like, dude, mm. you don't have 500 friends, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You don't know that many people, yeah. right? I One of my students said, "Oh, Miss Johnson, you, no. you you are really so. You have 3,000 followers." I was like, "I do," because I don't that. I don't know 3,000 people, <laughs> you know. 
Yes. So, yeah. Yes. So. Well, I had a professor who used to capitalize on the fact that he had, you know, 300 students in his class. And he was like, yeah. So part of the class, you have to follow me on Twitter. And you're like, okay. <laughs> if you don't have a Twitter yeah. account, you should go get one right yeah. now. You're like, oh, yeah, man. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing, though. Um, so who or what has been the greatest informant to your professional um, practice? Well, you know, growing up, always my mother was that every woman. She was a gardener. She made hats. She painted. Mm-hmm. Loved it. One time she painted a black Jesus for the black church that didn't want She had to read. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Crazy. I wish I could tell where that was. Do you I have don't. a picture of that? Oh. <laughs> it was an oil painting. <laughs> off of the so fly. But... Um, Professionally, um, when I was at Prairie View as a student, uh, uh, Reverend Tally, Dr. Tally, um, showed me everything in terms of how to publicize yourself, showed me how to do a press release, Mm -hmm. how to save money with invitations and how to use invitations that people may collect it if you do it correctly. Um, But in terms of printmaking, it was Sarah Barsness, 100 percent. She was my professor in a graduate school. And she absolutely let me fly. When she saw that I was doing something, <clears throat> excuse me, with the feathers, she guided me through that. And she would just, mm-hmm. you know, try this. Let's try this. Let's do. She never said, stop. You have to print on paper to pass this class. She never did anything like that. She just let me fly. So I always give her the credit. And I had a chance to see her when I was in California, which was awesome um, this past summer. So in terms of what I'm doing now, definitely uh, Sarah Barsness in terms of creating and um, Dr. Tally in terms of showing me, you know, especially on a college level, you know, put this in campus announcements, let them know what you're doing, you know, and that kind of stuff helps you, you know, with promotion and portfolio review, you know, all that academic stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's great. That's great. I'll be trying to find those two people as well. Dr. Tally and uh, Sarah Barnes. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I'll be creating links. People will be coming looking for them. Um, <laughs> um, uh, has Texas as a site-specific landscape informed your professional practice? And um, Recently, and- uh, in October, I had the opportunity to visit a plantation in Independence, Texas. That just will never sound right. Uh, A former slave plantation in Independence, Texas. It's about uh, 15 minutes out of Prairie View, um, right before you get to Brenham. And uh, it was a retired architect who bought the property and realized, you know, he had a lot of treasures on that property. I just recently found out that they found shackles. Yeah, I know. And oh, um, wow. there's three structures that are still standing. You know, uh, people, you can talk about slavery all you want to, but our people were smart. Those structures are still standing that they built in the 1800s, mm-hmm. cobwalling and all of that. And so um, <clears throat> he said, George, who owns the property, you know, we find stuff all the time, broken bottles, pottery. So you want some of that stuff? Uh Yeah. He gave me three boxes of just stuff, broken pottery, broken bottles. One of the boxes had four pair of infant breeches. 
which was fascinating. And then the item that got to me the most was a field bonnet. And that's the bonnet that they would wear in there to protect their heads from the sun. And, and it was crazy um, because I printed pieces on cotton to give, to bring those pieces to life. Like uh, a picture of my nephew who was a baby at the time and placed it next to those britches, um, which now puts a face to it. And then uh, I printed another image of uh, my neighbor uh, and put it on a bonnet. And what was crazy is at old school, I take pictures on the floor and my dog, he would just lay in front of it. It's like he was guarding the bonnet. He's never paid attention to anything else that I've done. He's up here in the chair asleep right now, (laughs) could care less. But when that bonnet was on the floor, he just laid in front of it. It was just strange. So those pieces have been extremely powerful that I've been dealing with. Even the nails, they were just old square iron nails, you know, from the blacksmith that were in the boxes. Lots of gloves, handkerchiefs, you know, just these objects that they've found on the property. I'm sure some were probably from the 30s or so. But that field bonnet just really got next to me. And, um, And then... I teach at Prairie View, which was a former plantation as well. So those, that, those yeah, one of the most that. vicious plantations in Texas, the Alta Vista Plantation. And it, it's it's a university. Wow. So that is around me. And then, of course, getting the cotton and filling the seeds and that real cotton. And I can apply my auction block series, the cotton pieces that are in those are from a plantation in Texas. So um, it, it all comes around. I'm, I'm certainly a Southern transplant now because um, I've been here for so long. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, <laughs> and it's, I don't know, this, I think it was, I think it's a little funny. You just, you know, you are coming from London and you lived in Wyoming, Wyoming and your, but your professional right. practice is right. here. You live here right. in, in Texas and you allow the, the landscape to inform your practice. And I really love, I really love how material culture is such an important part of your practice, because normally when we talk about fine art in, um, in art history, um, I got my, my master's degree in American Mm -hmm. fine and decorative arts at Sotheby's Mm -hmm. Institute in New York. And whenever we would talk about fine art, it was always something that was so separate from right. material culture and you you have to give it a separate name. And even though I was going to um, the Swan Auction House and Galleries and looking at like mm-hmm. the African-American um, fine art department there, a lot of those objects were material yeah. culture objects, but they weren't, they, they were museum worthy as long as they were going yeah, to or in a folk art section. Museum yeah. art. Mm-hmm. Right. The folk mm-hmm. art section. Exactly. And and you know, they get the right. term outsider art or or um or uh, Yes, that's exactly art. right. Like, yeah. Well, like, yeah. Like I I'm just a little yeah. bit <laughs> like I I I need these right. things to meld together because right. I know that they do. And I think because their association with blackness that they don't they don't get like of course. a seat at the Met, um, which they're making. Yeah, they're that, making those last couple of shows right? they had like at the Met, I would love to see. Um, yeah, yes, I, I totally like they are, get it. They are yeah, and a lot of people don't know where to put yes. me. 
um, you know, I'm specific about the leaves. <clears throat> They're very Southern leaves, the magnolia leaves that I print on. But oddly enough, in Oakland are some of the most beautiful magnolia leaves I've ever seen. Strangely Yay. enough, yeah. Uh, sycamore leaves, which uh, we couldn't find any in North Dakota. So that's something that's in the South also. Um, you know, I print on those leaves. And then, you know, if you want to be nerdy about it, of course, the learning tree and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I when I went to fashion school, um, I was really into visual merchandising. I thought that was my career path. And I think that has led me to installations like at row houses to be very meticulous about installation because I was in visual merchandising. So those two okay. um, aspects merged themselves pretty easily for me. And then, and it goes to being a curator also. I always have a certain vision on how I want things to look and I like yes. stuff. You know, and ironing the ironing boards, you know, that was just purely an accident. But um, my next show at Hooks is going to be all ironing boards um, because there's a process with those. You know, I rusted myself or if I can find an old one and work with it like the I don't know if you saw the ones I had at Londale, um, um, oh. which was really a cool show. And um, the, the ironing boards I did at Londale were very specific to John Bigger's shotgun number three. And so I kind of remixed his shotguns with the women of Rue. Uh, mm-hmm. But we were, instead of standing in the doorway of a shotgun house, we were all on ironing boards. And then that talks about the backbreaking mm-hmm. work of women of color, you know, having to take care of someone else's yeah. family before you can take care of your own. But it also, because the image of that was on Main Street facing Third Ward, we are now protectors of our creative community. So it was very, very uh, specific um, with those materials. And then each one of us held a birdhouse that was very symbolic of something related to our neighborhood or ourselves personally. So, um, yeah, I, I love stuff which is why I will forever regret not shopping with Betty Sutter. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's great. Can I ask you about your, um, the show that you just did over the summer, the vision board? Yeah. Um, Because the plantation is too damn much. I love love the title. The plantation is too damn much. Um, that was Rue, again, my collective with Delita Martin, Lovey Olivia, and Rebea Bayin. If you don't know who they are, find out. My sisters are cold. Um, um, <laughs> so I am a founding member of Print Matters, which established Print Houston, which birthed Print Austin, and now Print Santa Fe. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Rue came together in the original showing of Print Houston, um, just as artists. And uh, every year people would say, <clears throat> I was the only black person in Print Matters, and I was going to make sure that Print Houston had a black presence. And so after we had our first show at HMAC, okay. everybody was like, well, what are the Rue girls doing? What are the Rue girls doing? So eventually we became a collective and people know us. If, if somebody says, you know, your sister was here, you know, I know it's either Lovey, Rebea, or, or Delita. You know, they just know it's like, hey, sis, it, we just have this love for each other. And so um, that was the first time we had shown since 2018. 
And um, it was the only house at Project Row Houses that was divided into the rooms. And we talked about it. It was going to be called We're Serious About Our Blues. So I think we just shortened it a little bit. And my room was specifically inspired by my visit to the Seward Plantation. And in one of the quarters, they have one of their properties, one of the houses is still intact and it's furnished. And there was a rope bed in there. And I was just so taken by that rope bed and it was small. And I wondered if a girl slept on that bed, could she dream or would she dream? Would she dare to dream? Or could she even conceive of what a dream is? And that's what my room was based on. So because I work in the School of Architecture, that's where the art department is. You know, some students are flunking, they'll do anything for you. So I had a couple little <laughs> knothead boys wasn't doing right. So they made my rope bed for me. And uh, so that's a custom wow. rope bed. And then I had ironing boards in there and then the vision board. And each panel of the vision board told its own story. Um, the first panel um, was, if you looked at it closely, it was a young black girl holding a white baby. And behind her were wanted posters. And then in the middle, that's when I start to use myself. And you see these, you know, Harlem Renaissance inspired crisis magazine. But you see me Mm -hmm. removing that scarf that Mammy would have worn, slowly taking it off. And then the third panel is actually me inside of that slave house at the Seward Plantation. And then at the bottom is images, you know, Michelle Obama, something that that young slave girl could not possibly conceive of. And then throughout the room, because this, the round was about critical race theory, there were jars in the window, had banned books in the jars. Toni Morrison was in one of the jars. Um, a page from, I know why the cage bird sing was in one of the jars. There were feathers and leaves in the jars. And then on the bed, if you stared at the bed, um, that quilt had silhouettes of Sandra Bland, Harriet Tubman, uh, Little Ruby, uh, um, just different women. And then then there was the nest, which I've been showing the nest for years that have feathers uh, inside the nest. Uh, Autumn Night is in one of those. Um, Bean, Outspoken Bean is in one of those. People that I know kind of nesting you know, future, past, and present. Mm. And then um, there was a big sack that says breeder, you know, one of those jobs on the plantation. And then um, right. then there's a couple of spots where you could actually see the title um, hanging out of a basket. Mm-hmm. Or uh, actually I printed it on cotton, the title, you know, vision board for a slave girl. And then the chair was there for anyone to sit in. And it said, you know, please sit and think. And you're just welcome to sit there and just kind of feel that vibe and take it all in. So it ended up being very spiritual. It had a spiritual quality and mysticism to that room. And it just flowed because each one of our rooms kind of, you know, when we talked about it, you know, the room and when you first walked in, that was kind of like the drawing room. You kind of have to really look at what Berbea had done with tobacco leaves. And then Delita's space, you can just see the spawns or the the women, spirit of those women who would have slept in that bed literally come to life on the wall. And then Lovey just does Lovey. I can't even put it into words. She's so fly. You know, Lovey just does something <laughs> that blows your mind, you know? So 
<clears throat> that's how that came to be. Yeah. That's incredible. For Thank sure. you for sharing that with us. Um, it's it's a really remarkable room. I can't wait to, oh, to link absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. Notes. It is such a beautiful space. Um, so here's one of my, okay. my last questions for you. Um, there's a quote that I've used to ground the work into the exhibition. It's, um, it's James Baldwin from The Fire Next Time. Um, he, he says, if we hadn't loved each other, we never would have survived. Uh -huh. what, does, what does Black love mean to black you? Black love is our survival because all the people that were whipped for us, that were lynched for us, you know, that, that were sacrificed for us, we have to learn how to appreciate the love they had for us. Um, just mm -hmm. a love for our people. I wish we would love each other more, you know, um, yes. too much. I, and I just, I watched the Lizzo documentary. I really love Lizzo. Uh, her documentary. Yeah. I, I mean, when you listen to Lizzo. <laughs> I didn't see the documentary. I didn't yeah, know she it had was, a, It was just released on HBO Max. And, um, you know, when you listen to Lizzo, she just have you feeling so good about yourself. Where people were just coming for her Like your music isn't black enough And mm. it's just stupid Why limit ourselves Put ourselves in a box um, But I mean I just, you just, I just mm. But you know it's just, it's just an unconditional what? love that we have Cut it out That we have for each other You know And I wish we had more of it for ourselves but I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I come from a great family that's always expressed great love. My father was an activist, so I grew up to be one. You know, it was always there. So I don't know, it might be corny, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. No, that's not corny. That's, that's special. And like family, I think family yeah, is very underrated. Is. We, um, we, we don't. We don't give it enough credence. We don't give each other enough. <clears throat> we don't give each other right. enough of our time. Um, and I just, I that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show, um, is because I wanted us to, as Black people, to look at each other right. with, with love, and to think of our ancestors with yes. reverence and, yes. and adoration. Um, because we wouldn't Absolutely. be here without them. Absolutely. And um, uh, part of the point of having the public program where we just we just adhere pictures of our grandparents or great-grandparents, you know, if you have an ancestor and you have an image of them, you yeah. know, put it on the wall. And it's a visual representation of like, an American unity that right. Baldwin speaks about that, you know, our ancestors hope for, but that we are still in the process right. of trying to create. Yeah. So I feel yes. you on that. I think that's excellent <laughs> so, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, and finally, where can we find you? I'm on, on Instagram socials? at Soul Sister Art, S O L E. Um, my website is soulsisterart.com. Um, those are most of my recent works I, I put on IG. Yeah. Sure. Thank you so much for sharing oh, with thank us you for today. having me. And I'm just nice. blown away by by your work and you really make me want to go. <laughs> Drive to on out. Drive on out. Come like, <laughs> 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you
the beautiful <laughs> campus. <laughs> well, oh, thank, thank you so much for your time, and we'll we'll see you at the yes, at the artist. Talk. I'll be there. <laughs> For those of you who are not familiar with Patreon, let me fill you in on what it is. We live in a world where most quote-unquote free content is paid for by ads. Patreon finds a way to work around that. It's a website and an app where content creators like us who want to offer ad-free content can still keep the lights on. But it doesn't just support us, it's mutually beneficial. It offers commitment levels where listeners can get more content based on their level of monthly support. So in the end, it's a blessing for the content creators by helping them to cover their cost. And hopefully it's a blessing to the supporters who especially value that content. We want to provide you with such great content that for free that in turn, you might consider supporting us financially so you can get more of the content you love. It's easy to set up an account and you can unsubscribe or change your commitment level at any time. To find out more about the tiers we offer, go to scarletmarket.com. By the way, you aren't restricted to what we've invented. You can create your own tiers as well. So check out scarletmarket.com.